You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Genesis 29, 14 through 35. I'm going to take a minute to uh, turn in your Bibles, my phone. And please stand if you're able in honor of God. Genesis 29, 14 35. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, and Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But it seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban said, Laban gave his servant Zilpah, to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Laban, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as their attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than the love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. 
Aya became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard me that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. After she conceived and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I'll praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having to him. It's the word of God for the people again. Uh, good evening. My name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you wanted, to, if you're a child and you want to get one of these um, pew kits, you're welcome to come do that right now. Um, we're going through the the Jesus Storybook Bible, which um, some of you kids may have read. Um, I know that I've seen it in some of your homes. Your parents um, have probably read it themselves. If you if you haven't read it, child or not child, uh, I highly recommend it. Um, it is not just for children. It is a fantastic description of. Really what the whole Bible is about. And it's called, again, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And um, every chapter has these beautiful illustrations written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. So we're looking at that book and um, preaching through passages that are mentioned in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And the big picture is that uh, God puts a man and a woman in a garden, Adam and Eve, and tells them to be fruitful and multiply, spread out from the Garden of Eden, that paradise, and then spread uh, the creativity of God all around the world. Have children uh, move out and have dominion over the world and bring about uh, all the latent potential in the world and bring forth things like microphones and, and iPads and candles and um, wine and light bulbs and everything in this room, all these artifacts. All of this stuff was part of God's, uh, what they call the creation mandate. And we were supposed to take all the creativity that God used to make us Uh, He took chaos and turned it into order, into beauty. And we are supposed to do that now in the name of God and have dominion over the earth and spread out. And we have spread out, but unfortunately, instead of bringing forth dominion, uh, we've brought forth domination. Uh, Because of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, we see that humans turn from God. They stop trusting God. They believe in the terrible lie. And therefore, uh, they begin to rape and pillage and use the creation rather than blessing the creation uh, and bringing forth the beauty out of creation. Um, and so God uh, in, institutes a secret rescue plan. That's what Sally Lloyd-Jones calls it, the secret rescue plan of God. And what that plan is, uh, is he's going to take one man, uh, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and uh, they're going to be like the new Adam and Eve. And they are people who are, um, who are old and barren and cannot make a name for themselves. And unlike the Tower of Babel where humans tried to make a name for ourselves, he's going to take this man and woman, uh, Abraham and Sarah, who are 100 years old and they cannot have a child. And he's, going to, he's going to make a great name out of them. And he's going to take that family and he's going to spread that family. Uh, this is the secret rescue plan all across the earth and create a community which we are a part of. Salem Presbyterian Church are part of that community that we are part of the children of Abraham 
that are bringing forth, instead of domination, a humble, God-honoring dominion. Or at least we try to. Don't always succeed. But one aspect of the secret rescue plan, one part that is crucial to us as a family, to all families of God around the, around the earth, all churches, is that we have got to be the people uh, where the unwanted are cared for. Uh, we t- we've been talking a lot about unwanted pregnancy, uh, unwanted children uh, in, in our country the last few weeks. Well, the, the church is called to be the people who care for those who are unwanted. And this passage is called uh, the, the girl that no one wanted. That's what the Jesus story Bible says. The girl that no one wanted. That's Leah. And you can see how God honors uh, the unwanted and brings them right into the heart of, of, of the kingdom. People who are full of shame, which Leah would have been. Nothing would have been more shaming than uh, her position. Um, and God takes the unwanted and he lifts them up. I've been obsessed with Stranger Things ever since I saw um, the, the finale of season four, which I thought was just brilliant. I'm not going to give away anything. But um, if you haven't watched it yet, uh, I love it. I grew up in the 80s. Uh, I love Dungeons and Dragons. I played it obsessively as a teenager. And the main character, I thought about Leah. Uh, this character doesn't even have a name. She's just a number. And, uh, and she um, is, is emotionally abused, very much unwanted. Her mother is taken from her. She has almost no social skills. She doesn't even know how to talk or interact with, with her peers. She has no friends. Again, she doesn't even have a name, but she comes into this, this family that kind of adopts her, uh, these kids, these adoptive parents, so to speak, uh, and they, they give her a name. They actually name her. And then they also, they make her so important. Like, almost the, uh, the chief uh, of the whole group is, is Elle. She is the one who leads them. Uh, and so, a great example of what the church is supposed to do is to uh, celebrate, um, to empower people who are like Leah, who are like Elle, and uh, to bring them into the heart of the kingdom. So, I want to look at, first of all, the, the, the devastation of Leah, the terrible story of Leah, uh, and then the way that God redeems that. And this is the girl who epitomizes uh, the humility of the kingdom. Those who are poor in spirit. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And you see that in the story of Leah. So to to give you a little bit of the backstory, if you don't know much about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, Abraham's grandson is Jacob, who is running from his brother Esau, who tried to kill him. So Esau and Jacob don't get along. Uh, if, you, if you've ever had a sibling that you don't get along with, they don't get along with each other at all. Um, so he has to run 500 miles away to get away from Esau. This is Jacob now, the schemer. He's a schemer. And when he arrives uh, at his uncle Laban's house, because his mom said, go to my brother Laban and you can be safe there. Well, he comes into the presence of someone who out-schemes him. Laban is the ultimate schemer. So here is Jacob coming to Laban's house and it says in verse 10, as soon as he came uh, into Rachel's, I mean, into Laban's area, he saw Rachel and he, he felt so emboldened, so empowered by his love for her. He, he runs over and he rolls the stone away from the well's mouth and watered her flock of sheep for her and kissed her and wept aloud. Uh, it's a grand entrance, one commentary said, um, a grand entrance where he's kind of showing off. And Laban sees all this happening, you know, from his home. He sees what Jacob is doing down there. And Laban, as a schemer, he concocts a plan. Uh, 
his wheels start turning in his head. And, and uh, it says in verse 16 that Laban had two daughters, Leah the older and Rachel the younger. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in both form and appearance. And this is what the Storybook Bible says. This is Sally Lloyd-Jones. The younger sister was very beautiful, but the oldest wasn't beautiful at all. Rachel was the kind of girl who always gets invited to parties and chosen for the team. And poor Leah, no one hardly even noticed her. So Laban, the uncle, sees Jacob looking at Rachel. And he knows that look. And he will do anything. Um, He knows that Jacob will do anything to get Rachel. So he knows he has him. And he even, Jacob even says in verse 18, I will serve you seven years for Rachel. He's completely smitten, and Laban knows this. And uh, this is what uh, Tim Keller, who's my favorite servant, uh, preacher, says. Uh, this is how Keller describes Laban's thinking. Uh, Laban's thinking, great shepherd, exile, jobless, desperate for Rachel. I'll make lots of money and offload my undesirable daughter. That's what Laban's thinking. He knows that he has Jacob in his hands. And so he plays this horrible trick um, that is narrated so straightforwardly that you almost miss uh, the cruelty of it. Um, You you miss the horror of it, the way that it's written so um, plainly, which the Bible often does. But in verse 20, it says that Jacob served seven years for Rachel, but they seemed only a few days because he was so in love with her. Uh, He's a starstruck lover. All those years seem like but a few days. He's smitten. They throw a huge wedding. Laban has this gigantic wedding with especially strong alcohol, apparently, because it says in verse 22, he gathered together all the people of the place and he made a feast. And then there's the bait and switch, which I I have no idea how he convinced Leah to do this. He probably didn't convince her because uh, back then the way women were treated, um, There was no such thing as consent. Consent was an idea, by the way, that Jesus brought into the world, um, this idea of consent. But there was no consent. So Laban tells Leah, you're going to have to go in and you're going to have to be the one that sleeps with Jacob. You're going to be the one that he marries. Of course, Leah has no say in that. Verse 23, in the evening, this is the first night of marriage, Jacob took Leah, no, Laban took Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob went into her. But in the morning, behold, it was Leah, exclamation point. And, you know, I've heard of people waking up drunk after a party next to someone in bed and they don't know who it is. But this is this is his wife. And he wakes up in bed next to her. and He does not know who it is. And you can imagine him uh, tearing out of bed, leaving Leah, weeping, curled up in a ball, uh, running to his uncle Laban. Um, half-dressed and saying, what is this you've done? Verse 25, I wanted Rachel. And you can imagine Leah overhearing that and already knowing what her dad is doing and just the, uh, the level of shame there would have been off the charts. Uh, it's confirmed all of her secret fears about having a beautiful sister and she is unwanted. And then imagine her dad saying in verse 26, well, in our country, we give... Uh, the younger before we give the firstborn. So she knows her dad is using her as bait. Uh, both of them are treating her like an object to be bartered and traded. Uh, Leah knows these things, and you can just imagine the embarrassment of that. I mean, the whole village would have known this. Um, 
They would have heard the commotion. She's a teenager. Uh, just sometimes you feel that kind of that heat that goes right down, almost like you've eaten something really, really hot, just the shame that burns right through you. Um, and, you know, I can't imagine if she had had TikTok or Snapchat. Today, those of you who are teenagers, that uh, these social situations like this, um, I cannot imagine how hard it would be. The LOLs and the memes and the gifts and stuff like that. Being one wanted today is probably harder than ever before. Um, you know, you try to sit with the cool kids and they walk away and you try out for a team or some group and they cut you and you, get, you try to get invited on a trip and you don't get invited and all the bullying of social media. So this is really relevant today, uh, just this idea of being unwanted and the shame of that. And I would say um, it is one of, if not the most frequent pastoral issue I deal with, which makes a lot of sense. And these are not just, so I'm not just talking to teenagers here, I'm talking to everyone in here, talking to myself here. Um, the, pe- the people feeling unwanted, whether that's in their head or not, it's, the, it's their reality. Whether they are really actually being excluded or not, uh, all of us feel that way from time to time. And anyone you think is kind of in the in-group, or they've arrived, or they've got their friends, it's just not true. Um, maybe some have more friends than others, but there's always this voice inside that we're not wanted. And I would say, because we are part of the secret rescue plan, uh, the church, we church, we have to be people that do not act like the world, where we do welcome in people. There are no unwanted people in the church. Uh, We have the the power to reach into a person's shame and embarrassment that really no other institution on the planet does. Every other institution is gathered around some like uh, same interest. You know, they have the same interest in this, that, or the other. You know, only the church is a group of people where God explicitly says, I'm choosing you um, to be mine for no reason about yourself at all, just because I love you, and you should go out and love everyone the same way. Only the church has that power. Because only we have the crucified Savior that treated us that way. Um, there is no other group of people on earth. So that's, that's the power we have to overcome the devastation of Leah, married to a man who does not love her, um, sleep, the man is sleeping with his sister. Verse 30 is just so straightforward, uh, it's painful. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. So it was obvious to Leah that Jacob favored her. You know, as a parent, your number one rule is don't play favorites. In this case, this, this husband is playing favorites, and it's clear. He's not even trying to hide it. The narrator says it. But the good news of the kingdom is that we see things with new eyes because uh, we have had something akin to LASIK surgery spiritually where we actually uh, get to look at people no longer according to the flesh. That's what Paul says. From now on, we no longer look at one another. We no longer evaluate one another according to the flesh. And the word flesh doesn't mean your skin. It means according to the empire point of view, the way that the power, the, the power players of the world, uh, the powers that be, the way the culture acts, the way the culture tells you you're supposed to look at people, whether it's by beauty, uh, that makes them attractive to you, or they're intelligent, uh, they're funny, uh, they have great taste, and whether it's clothes or food or fashion or interiors or houses, they have wealth, they're famous, whatever it is. From now on, Paul says, we do not 
regard people according to the flesh. Um, you look at yourself and say, you know, I'm, I'm ugly or I'm unpopular, or I'm uncool or I'm awkward. Um, and the church looks at you and says, no, you're beautiful to us. You're welcome here. You belong here. You're fascinating to us. And so that's why Paul gets so mad at the Corinthian church when they act like the world with all these divisions. And the wealthy Corinthians get together first at church and have a meal together, a little potluck just with them. Paul goes ballistic about that. And when Peter starts to avoid the Gentiles, uh, Paul just goes off on him. And he, he tells him off right to his face in front of all the church uh, in Antioch. Because Paul would have nothing to do with that. In the church, we don't look at each other that way. So that's leading to point two now, the, the redemption of Leah. And redemption comes at the bottom of this frozen mountain lake where she is paralyzed with a longing to be alluring and captivating and enticing. The storybook Bible says, uh, Leah said to herself, no one loves me, I'm too ugly. It's painfully simple. No one loves me, I'm too ugly. And by the way, some of you, um, sometimes the most beautiful people in the world that would be regarded as beautiful by a lot of other people are they themselves feel incredibly ugly. So don't imagine that uh, you know, that person or that person is one of the beautiful people, but I'm not. It just doesn't work that way. Um, Leah, is, Leah is obsessed uh, with the desire to be wanted. And every single child, this is the most heartbreaking part of this story. Every single child she bears, if you look carefully at what Hayes read, every time she bears another child, it's just another name, another plea to be wanted by her husband who doesn't want her. So verse 32, Reuben means seen. She wants to be seen. Now my husband will see me because I've given him a child. Verse 33, Simeon means heard. Now he will pay attention to me. He will listen to me now. My husband will finally start listening to me now because I've given him a child. And then verse uh, Levi, attached. Now Jacob will see me, hear me, and he'll attach to me. And that's the way we think. We think I'm valuable insofar as people notice me and applaud me and enjoy me. And God says, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's not the way I evaluate people. That's not the way Christ evaluated people. If you read the Gospels, uh, the way that he treated people, especially women, it is just completely different from any kind of literature written at that time. Someone once said, women have never been treated as well as when Jesus came to the earth. Not before that and not since that time. And so he came and treated people like the, uh, the woman in Samaria with multiple husbands who had had multiple divorces. Uh, the woman caught in adultery. Um, the, the, the Gentile Syrophoenician woman. Uh, on and on and on. Mary Magdalene. Uh, he, he taught uh, Mary. And he, he had, she sat at his feet and taught him as a rabbi. The way he treated women was off the charts. Completely different. The story of the Bible says God didn't think Leah was ugly. And when he saw that she was not loved and that no one wanted her, he chose to love her especially and to give her a very important job. One day God would rescue the world through Leah's family. And when her fourth child comes, and I love this part of the story, when the fourth child comes, after decades of suffering, she finally gets it. She finally understands what the kingdom's like. And she says in verse 35, this time I will praise the Lord. This time, it's not going to be about uh, my husband's love for me, my, not, not my face, my clothes, my body, my boyfriend, only my creator. This time, I will praise the Lord. 
And Judah means yada, which means praise. So she literally names the child, um, I have been seen by God and noticed by God and I praise God. I shine for God. I don't need to be seen or heard or approved by my husband or any other man. I praise God. And this is uh, this, the very name of the child, uh, Judah, means uh, this is what the kingdom's going to be like. It's going to be a kingdom of people where God is just praised. They're like shining. We're just mirrors that shine back, that shine back the sunlight of God. Uh, we are people of praise. Um, this is the source of the Nile here. From this, this child of praise, come, from Judah comes the, the, the line of the tribe of Judah. From Leah's final child comes the one who is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Uh, verse, 34, when, verse 31, when, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. And that's not a consolation prize. Uh, it's not to make up for all the years. It's more like it's, this is God's kind of person. It's empathy more than it is a consolation prize. That he identifies with Leah. Because the king of kings is the king who is unwanted himself. Isaiah 53.3, this is probably the most astonishing thing about Christianity, the most impossible claim we make of all is that God himself, when God came as a human being, and we do believe that, that God became a human being. That distinguishes us from all religions right there, that one almighty God became a human being. Verse Isaiah 53.3 says he was despised and rejected by people. So the one, when God came, he came like a slob, to quote Joan Osborne. He, he came like a slob like one of us. He, he was despised and rejected. He was as one from whom people hide their faces. They didn't, even, they didn't want to look at him. He was so disgusting and disfigured on the cross. Like his arms were broken in all the wrong ways. and His face was just bloody. And there was a crown of thorns on his head. He was disfigured. And so humans didn't even want to look at Jesus. He was so mangled. Almost didn't look like a human anymore. And so God says to the girl that no one wanted... Uh, from you will come the Messiah. This is what my kingdom's going to be like. And at this table, you know, it's a table of misfit toys, if you will. Unwanted, uncool, rejected. Uh, that's why uh, the table is such a simple meal. And the bread represents a brokenness. It's a broken body. And the blood represents, the, the wine represents blood shed, uh, poured out, a bloody, something that's bloody is not attractive. Broken is not attractive. The story Bible says, when God looked at Leah, he saw a princess. And sure enough, that's exactly what she became. One of Leah's children's children's children would be a prince, the prince of heaven. And he would love God's people. They wouldn't need to be beautiful for him to love them. He would love them with his whole heart and they would be beautiful because he loved them. Love these rascals.